Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, man, we wanted to point out that if uh, we have these sitting on the back table back here, thanks Bonfire Visuals, uh, if you need prayer for anything, we would be honored to pray for you and privileged to pray for you. So if you need that at any point, you can fill one of these out and drop it in the box, and, uh, and we'll be glad to, to pray for you. We kind of disperse these amongst leadership and, uh, and pray for you. We keep it confidential, but it kind of stays in that small circle. But uh, if you need that, please, please, uh, please fill one of those out. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you, we are sampling a new coffee this morning. And, you know, as a guy that loves coffee, I've probably had about four cups just to kind of make sure that it was okay. I just wanted to taste it. And so that could be problematic. Um, we're going we're gonna to try. My wife's looking at me now. She's like, it will be problematic. No, we're going we're gonna to try to keep it under control. But, man, I'm, I'm all jacked up. And so... Um, it's a good thing we've got the Bible to kind of anchor us down. So we are back in the book of Mark. Uh, I've talked to like three pastors in the past th- two to three weeks that are starting a series in Mark. I'm like, hey, that's awesome. We've been there for the past 57 weeks and so enjoy it. So uh, we start chapter 11 today. And, and it's a neat thing that we're starting chapter 11 because chapter 11 marks the beginning of the last week of this, of this text, and so it's going to take us more than a week, but that's okay, uh, but today is basically the same passage or the same idea that we would read on Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the Palm Sunday text, and so this is when, like we talked about last week, Jesus was coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, uh, marching to the cross, and so that's where we find him today, and today he's actually entering into Jerusalem, and we're going to look at that and see, and so um, if you hang around with us for a while, come Palm Sunday, you'll probably hear this text or at least the collection of these texts from the rest of the synoptics in John 2 uh, on that same day. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and read uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, uh, that you are a God worthy of our praise. You're more than just worthy of our songs, but you're worthy uh, of our hearts to be tethered to yours so that we can love like you do, so that we can serve like you do, um, and God, so that we can view mission the same way that you do. Uh, God, today I pray that we look at just a beautiful text of people declaring something amazing, and God, that it would do something in us and remind us of some, some very crucial, critical ideas about the nature of Jesus. Um, and Father, you would use it to make us look more like the church you desire us to be. Um, God, I do. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this family, uh, that you have grown, uh, that you are continually growing, and that you're making into a, a beacon of hope for this city. Um, and God, I pray for those that are outside the walls this morning that, that, have not, that do not have a place to worship or a family to worship with because they're, they're not united with you uh, through Jesus. God, I pray um, you know their names, and I pray that we can meet them and we can share hope with them. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 11, verse uh, 1 through 11. We're going to read through that, and then we'll, we'll come back together and talk about it. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
So today, like this particular passage, marks the beginning of the final week uh, of Jesus leading up to the cross. Now we have the resurrection and, and we have the ascension, which, which took place after, but everything leading up to it over the next seven days would transpire. And so today he's entering into that city. Uh, he left Jericho, which was kind of to the northeast, and he's traveling down. And, and this is kind of a, an interesting scene because we, if we read this without any, any context or any background on our part, like if we had never been exposed to this or if we were people just kind of standing there, it would have, been, it would have kind of come out of left field to a degree. Because, you know, even though we seem like, it seems like there may have been a conversation that led up to this, we're not privy to it. We don't know that it occurred. We didn't hear it. So we're not really sure what happened. All we know is that Jesus is entering into this road into Jerusalem, and some things transpire, and people respond. And so like we talked about last week, busy road, a lot of different people there. His 12 were there, but also travelers were there, but also like his general disciples or those that have been following him, waiting to see what he would say, waiting to see what he would do, maybe waiting to see if they would be fed again. They were there too. And so there were a lot of those people. And then there were probably just people that were just kind of standing around outside the city just because that's what they did just to see who would walk by. It was kind of like the water cooler effect. You know, most of us probably don't work at jobs where there's a water cooler anymore thanks to COVID. But either way, back in the day, apparently you stood by the water cooler waiting to have a conversation. So we had those people too. And so as they drew near, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples, unnamed according to uh, even all the gospels. We don't know who it was. And he just kind of told them, he's like, you're going to go in and you're going to find a colt, a fresh one, never been set on, and you're going to take it. And so if anybody asks, why are you taking it? Tell them, the Lord said that I would take this. It's okay, and I'll, I'll send it back immediately. That's all. Just take the colt. And so they go in, and, and they, they find it, and, uh, and people ask. They're like, hey, what are you doing? You're taking a colt. That's not yours. And they're like, the Lord said it was okay. And they were like, okay, no big deal. So right off the bat, like, if we just read this, kind of go over it, we're like, yeah, no big deal. But it is. It's a little odd. Like, it's not normal. You know, like we talked about last week, like, even though we're reading that text last week that would be great for a VBS passage or something like that, you know, very easily put up on a board. Like, this is one of them. If we just kind of read through it and we don't stop and think, like, it's a pretty crazy thing to say, hey, you're going to go and steal someone's car. Because um, basically that's what they were doing. Or steal someone's tractor. You know, a cult would either be a vehicle of transportation or it would most likely be a tool to use in your field. Either way, and this one, this one's going to be special. This one's never been used before. So you're basically going to the car lot and you're stealing someone's brand new car or you're going to the tractor dealer. You know, I love a tractor dealer. That'd be awesome to walk into it. Anyway, sorry, coffee. Uh, you're going to a tractor dealer and you're taking a fresh tractor. No one's ever sat on it before. That's not normal. Like, that's not normal. You know, there would be some protest there. But either way, he said, look, and when somebody asks, you just tell them, the Lord said that you could take it, and it's okay, and they'll bring it back. So a lot of people will read this, and uh, a lot of scholars will say, well, probably Jesus had a conversation with these particular people before, and, and he had told them in a bit, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to borrow your perfect colt. We don't know that, and to be honest, it would actually go against the narrative that we find in Mark 2, in which God just does stuff. We don't understand how he did it. We just know that God did it. It's his power. It happens. Like, look at all the miracles that Jesus did. Look at all of the healings that he did. Look at all the ways. Just last week, there was a man who had not seen, and he just told him, look, your faith has made you well. You can see again. Go your way. And he, he does. He sees immediately that transcribed word in Mark. Uh, so if Jesus can do that, obviously he can transcend conversation and let people know it's okay that I'm going to take your cult. So it probably wasn't a conversation that had happened. It was just the way Jesus operated. He was God. And so 
And then, it says, after they went away, they found that colt tied outside the street. Um, it says, what are you doing, untying the colt? They told him, Jesus said that it's okay, so they let them go. Verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Brand new colt, never been sat on. Fresh, pristine, brand spanking new. Not like a, you know, a baby, but just like never sat on. This was important. Didn't have a saddle yet, had never been saddled. So the disciples, they took off their cloaks. They laid it over the colt. That's, that's pretty symbolic. That's pretty neat. You know, especially considering all the ways that Jesus had been serving them sacrificially, had been investing in them, had, had told them a lot of things about how to serve, how to love, how to do all that. In this case, they get a chance to kind of put that in action, take their cloaks off, take the things that keep them warm and protect them from the environment and lay it over so Jesus has a place to sit. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. The other Gospels are going to, call, they're going to say that they're palm branches. This is the reason we call this Palm Sunday. For the people that were standing around, this would have immediately elicited in them like a couple memories. You know, a couple memories. They would have either gone to Solomon as he was entering in um, to Jerusalem in 1 Kings. They may have gone to like 2 Kings, remembering stories that they had heard about Jehu when he was actually anointed as king. Or... It's very likely they could have gone to Zechariah 9.9, which we're going to throw up on the screen. Zechariah 9.9 was a prophecy that sounds super familiar. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and the river to the ends of the earth. Many people watching, when they saw this thing unfold, they would have been transported back to this, and they would have immediately thought the very same thing that Peter had exclaimed just a few chapters previously. Like, whether they had a full understanding of what it meant to actually utter these words or what it meant to think the thoughts that they were about to have or what it meant to actually be transported back to this and actually see it unfolding and fully understand it, either way, they would go back to this and they would think this. The Messiah's come. The Messiah's come. The Messiah that had been promised to us hundreds and hundreds of years previous, the one who was coming to fix and make things right, he's here. He's here. And whether they were caught up in the moment or whether they had a full understanding or a partial understanding, they saw this and they realized that something special was happening, something unique was happening, something other than was happening, something not normal was happening. And they responded. They responded. Now for us, if we, if we saw someone riding in on Augusta Street towards Main Street on a, a brand, you know, in a brand new Corvette. Maybe, let's put this in, in good terms. Like if it was a tool, it'd be like a brand new F-150. You know, let's, let's do that. If we saw someone just riding in a brand new F-150, it wouldn't have a whole lot of meaning to us. Like culturally, we'd be like, well, that's just, that's just another country boy or a city boy that likes to drive a truck. Either way, I, I've got a truck. But either way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't strike a chord for us. But for them, understand, culturally for them, like, they've been in a place of oppression. They've been in a place in which they, they haven't really been able to taste freedom for very long. The Maccabean Revolt had just happened maybe like 70 years previous, and they had kind of tasted freedom for a little bit, but they really didn't know, and they were under Roman rule again. And so they immediately are transported back to one day, one day, there's a Messiah coming. And when he comes, the way that we're going to know it is, is, is he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a fresh donkey, and, and, and we're just going to flip out. 
We've heard about it since we were kids. And it's going to happen. And so they're standing there that day, or they're following Jesus that day, and they see it unfold, and they're like, oh, it's here. It's happened. Oh, man. And they respond. They respond. Let's hear their response. So first, we see what they do. They, they began to spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches or palm branches or grasses that they had cut down from the field. They spread it all over the road. And so basically for them, what that is is like, hey, uh, red carpets weren't a big deal yet, but this was. I'm going to take off the thing, the very same thing that the disciples did to lay it over the colt for Jesus to ride in on. They took off their cloaks and they laid it on the road. They're like, hey, walk on that. Like, hey, let's, let's take some branches down and lay it down for you to walk on. They're going to roll out the best red carpet that they can. That's their same version. They're like, look, uh, we recognize kind of what's happening here. We know it's not normal. It's unique in the grand scheme of history, the thing that we've been waiting for. We think this is it. That donkey looks new. So here, come in. I remember a couple years ago when we went to, to Guatemala for the first time. We're going back in March like they had this welcoming ceremony. And Abby reminded me of this just a couple weeks ago. Like they had this huge welcoming ceremony that lasted a long time. And they did a lot of stuff for us. But basically, they had this airnasium kind of a deal. And they put seats at the front for us to sit on. So even though we weren't doing anything special, we were the focus of attention. But what they did before that is they went and cut down as many branches as they could to make sure that our feet did not step on concrete or dirt. They said, we want to roll out the best red carpet or green carpet that we possibly can for you because you're people that we honor. It was, pretty, it, was, it was pretty humbling, and it was long, but it was pretty humbling. And there were people that played instruments that I don't know that they had ever played before until that day. That's okay. They did the best that they could, and it was awesome. And if you go back in March, I hope that you get to hear it too. But either way, same deal. They're like, look, you're special. You're coming in. Let us welcome you the best way that we can. So the first thing that we see them do is they're like, look, here, don't let your feet or even the donkey's feet that you're riding on touch dirt. Uh, we're going to honor you by saying, come in. That donkey, by the way, that was, that was fairly normal to have like a pristine animal for one of two reasons, Old Testament. One reason would have been sacrifice. Like if you were going to sacrifice an animal, that animal had to be just right perfect, unblemished. In the case of livestock like that, it would be one that had never been sat on, one that had never been saddled, one that had never been used for work. They needed to be perfect. But in the case of like coronation of a king, just like I said, if they were thinking of Solomon or Jehu um, or even the Maccabees, like that wouldn't be in, in the Bible, but there was histor historicity behind it. Like uh, maybe they were thinking of that. Like, look, this is someone of regal nature that's coming in. So yeah, they're sitting on that perfect, unsat on, unblemished donkey. So either way, they would have seen it. And lights would have started going off. So they, they lay out the red carpet, and then they begin to shout. It says that they were shouting, and they said, the first thing that we see them say is, Hosanna. Hosanna. Now, we don't say that except at Christmas, right? We should say it at Easter, but at Christmas we sing Hosanna. But, you know, we may say it at Easter a couple times because we're reading this text. But basically that Hosanna idea, uh, when it came, what it came from was a word that just meant save now. Save now. Like, we probably never think that when we sing at Christmas, like, Hosanna, Hosanna. We never think about that. But basically, the original word of that meant save now. Save now. And in this place, it had been transported by culture and changed to the point of just like a, a big word of praise. It would be a, a lot like us saying hallelujah or speak or preach or one of those things, depending on how you shout back at pastors. None of you do that, but either way, it's okay. Um, but same thing, like, praise the Lord. This is awesome. Hallelujah. But originally it started out as save now. That's crazy. 
We never think of those things. We just kind of read over it and be like, oh, such a beautiful word. Save now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then they continue. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, capital L, Lord, Christos, would be the Greek word. Messiah, Old Testament idea. So there is some things here that we need to point out. Like, number one, they probably weren't fully clear on who this was, but they knew he was someone special. They knew that he was someone that maybe they, they were shouting some variants of save now, or at least praise you, please save now, something like that. And also, like, blessed is the one who comes in the name of God, or the name of our Redeemer, or the name of the Messiah that's coming. And so they said that too. And they said, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father, David. Third thing. We talked about last week that Bartimaeus said something odd in the scope of, of the Gospels. Like, he called Jesus son of David. Like, didn't happen a whole lot. Like, that wasn't normal nomenclature for Christ. You know, there were a lot of things they would call him rabbi. He did that too. There were other things they would call him master. Um, but they didn't generally call him son of David. Son of David we'll talk about in a few weeks. But it was very much like messianic prophecy of the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. We talked from that, talked about that a little bit last week, that even from Joseph all the way down, adoptively, Jesus came from the line of David. But even Mary like bloodwise came all the way down from the line of David. We can look at Matthew, we can look at Luke on both of those accounts tracking the lineage. And because there was prophecy, the Davidic covenant saying, look, from your line, from you, I'm going to bless everybody. I'm going to redeem this world. And so same thing that they're saying here in Matthew and in Luke, it's actually son of David, not just the kingdom of David, but blessed is he who comes in the name of the son of David or the kingdom of David. So they're saying, save us, hallelujah. They're saying, Blessed is the one who came, comes in the name of the Father or the name of the Messiah. And then they're like, from the line of David. So even though their understanding might not be completely full, they're getting pretty close. Then they say it again. They, they close with the same thing they started with. They, they say, Hosanna again in the highest. Verse 11 Mark kind of ends slightly different than the other Gospels do. It says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He got there late at night, and no one was at the temple. He comes back the next morning, does some stuff that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. The other Gospels, they kind of roll this all into one, so they tell the whole story of what he does, and I don't want to give it away. So don't read ahead. Just hang out. Don't cheat. Wait for the next season. In the book of Luke, we do see that he adds to it a little bit that uh, they were making such a commotion and the city was in such a stir that the Pharisees, in Luke 19, 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're like, they're being way too loud. They're saying things they shouldn't say. Tell them, shh, shh. Tell them to be quiet. And he answers, he says, I tell you, if they, these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's like, if they don't, the rocks are going to say the same thing. What a crazy scene. What a crazy scene that if we saw it, nothing in us would stir, but they had been waiting so long, generationally waiting for deliverance, generationally waiting for someone to come and fix 
the things that were broken. Now, granted, they were. They were under the impression, and so were the disciples, that the deliverance was going to come in political fashion or possibly military fashion. We looked at that a couple weeks ago when James and John made their plea, in your new kingdom, let us sit at your right and left. They weren't thinking heavenly kingdom. They were thinking earthly kingdom, thrones that you could actually sit on. They were asking for that. So they didn't fully understand yet, and, and these people didn't fully understand yet, but they were, they were getting there. But either way, he said, no, I will not tell them to be quiet. Because if I do, these, it's going to freak you out a lot more because these rocks are going to sing out. What was happening is what needed to happen. People needed to recognize that who was coming into town was, in fact, the Christ, was, in fact, the Messiah, was, in fact, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. Not normal. Not just a prophet. Not just a good man, not just a righteous man, not just a man at all, but what they've been waiting on, what they've been hoping for, for so long, was here. There's this subtext in Mark of like this secret Messiah. Like, and we see it over and over and over, with the exception of one time, every time Jesus heals someone or does something, what does he tell them? He tells them, Shh, don't tell anybody yet. Like he doesn't shush them the same way that Bartimaeus was shushed last week. And we may have talked about that in community groups. He doesn't do that, but he's like, look, just, just for a little while, just go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And just let's, let's keep this quiet for just a bit. With the exception of the guy that he exercised the legions of demons from, he said, go back and tell your friends and family. But they were also in a different place. But most of the time it was like, let's keep this, let's keep this quiet for a little bit. All of that just ended. It was over. The secrecy was done. Jesus knew exactly what would occur as a result of him marching into the city and revealing exactly who he was. He knew two things. The world would know the Messiah was here and the world would seek to kill him. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. For us, what do we do? And while this sounds simple, you know, I love, I love simple reminders in Scripture. I think, number one, we need to do exactly what these people did, the 12, the followers, the observers, the water cooler people. We have to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. We have to. We have to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And you say, well, duh. No, 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 I'm serious. Like, we have to understand who exactly he is. Now, for us, like, we read Jesus the Christ, and we're like, well, that's his name. But that Christ, that Christos, we have to understand that, that in here, in culture, like, it, it was much more than a name. It was a description of what he was going to do. Like, it was fulfillment of prophecy that people had been waiting their entire life to see fulfilled, and they didn't know what it would look like, but they knew that they were starting to see a, a glimpse of it or something that looked like it. They were being reminded of Zechariah and other passages that said, this person will come, he will be from this line, this is how you will know. All of those lights were starting to go off, and they were like, oh, it's him. For us, the cultural reminders aren't there, but this is. And also the lives of other people who have been radically changed and transformed that are living amongst us. If you don't know yet that Jesus is the Messiah, He is. And if you've been following for a while, for a while, you need to hear again that He is exactly 
who we know him to be, he came to deliver and fix and rescue. Now, while the scope of view was probably particularly partially clouded for the people here in that time, and they thought that maybe he was going to rescue them from from Roman rule or from being occupied again or from being controlled by someone else, uh, we need to understand in full what exactly he was coming to rescue us from. Like, he's not coming to rescue us from an oppressive government. He's because just not. He's not coming to rescue us from, uh, from bad morals that corrupt good character. He's not coming to rescue us from any political affiliation or any political party or any ideology. He's not coming to rescue us from that. No, he's coming to rescue us from the eternal effects of sin that we're incapable of avoiding without him. Now, these people that were standing here, they may not have fully understood it yet, but, but I can guarantee you, over the course of the next six days, man, uh, the scales would start to fall off their eyes. Things would start to become clear. And over the course of six days to 30 years, so many people would be like, oh, oh, it wasn't Rome. It was my inability to be good enough to be accepted by God no matter what I did. If we're going to understand that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ, he was the rescuer, we also have to understand what he was coming to rescue us from. And that's vital. It's so vital that we understand that without this Jesus riding in on a donkey, revealing exactly who he was so the world would see and so the world would seek to kill him, the wages of sin would still be upon us. But the Messiah did come. He did reveal himself. The world did see. And the world did kill him. Not to give away the ending. But they did. And luckily for us, that's not the ending. So we see that this Christos, this Messiah, this chosen one, this deliverer, this rescuer, he is exactly who he claimed to be. And we can know that he came to deliver us not from anything political, not from anything military, not from anything oppressive related to a regime, but just the wages of sin. So maybe for some of you, you've you've laid claim to this idea. You have proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. You've called him Lord. You've seen your sin. You've chosen him instead. The gospel's been made alive and real to you. God has spoken through that and called you to himself, and you have been delivered. So that's great. But maybe some of you, you're, you're kind of sitting on the fence, and you're like, ah, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm glad you're here. Grateful that you're here. Grateful that hopefully you're relationally tethered to someone that's here. This is what I would ask of you. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I, I would say, look, be open to just ask God, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. If you're on the fence, if you don't know, if you're a healthy skeptic, we've talked about that. Like there's an unhealthy skeptic, someone that's saying, look, I don't believe this and I'm not going to explore it at all. Uh, It can't possibly be real. But a healthy skeptic is someone's like, "Ah, I don't know, but I'm going to do the legwork to actually see. So be a healthy skeptic and just maybe for the first time just say, hey, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Who are you? And be open. Be open. What's it going to cost you? Like seriously, like if you're, if you're on the fence, like what, what's it going to cost you to just say, God, if you're real? Conditional, conditional statement. If then, if you're real, then reveal yourself to me. 
And maybe if you're honestly a healthy skeptic, then that means that you actually may, maybe, maybe just open, get, grab a Bible. We've got free ones on the back back there. You can take them. They're readable. They're written on a fifth grade level. I guarantee most of you can read those and understand them. If you have trouble understanding, we'd be glad to explain it to you. Uh, but you just spend some time. Say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Maybe, maybe go back and start in Mark chapter 1. We've got almost all of these messages, except the ones that were uh, not recorded uh, due to technical difficulty, but most of them are there. Like, like read the passage and go listen to the message and be like, hey, what, what's this talking about? Be open. God, if you're real, then reveal yourself to me. And then secondly to that, like if you mean that, if you're being a healthy skeptic, then the person that invited you here, if someone invited you here and you're kind of on the fence, maybe ask them, like, who is this Jesus to you? Why'd you invite me today? Why'd you want me here? Be open to hear what they're going to say. So the first is recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer, and then some things to do if we're not quite there yet. But number two, and this is kind of a two-parter. I love the red carpet idea. Because even though they might have not been fully clued in to who this Jesus was and what he was doing, they were preparing the way. They were welcoming the Messiah into their city. The Christos that was coming here in flesh, God with skin on. They were saying, please, please come on in. I think for us, we believer, like in the room, sitting here, you, we need to prepare the way for Jesus in two ways. Number one, in ourselves. In ourselves, we need to prepare the way for Jesus. Because the way that Jesus is going to interact with us, hopefully, you've already confessed your sin, you've confessed him as Lord, you've trusted his life, his words, his death, his resurrection to make you right with God. And as a result of that, there's an expectation that should be on you that he's not going to leave you as you are, but he's going to change you into who he desires you to be for his glory, for his mission, for his benefit, so that we don't stay the same because he loves us just as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us that way. So that expectation is there. And so the way that we make way for Jesus there is, number one, we just, we pray. And in our prayer, we're open to hear from God. Like we ask God, God, if you have redeemed me, then you have a purpose for me. You have a plan for me. You have a path for me. I want to know what that is. And believe it or not, we'll never hear from God unless we're listening. Unless there's an expectation that he will speak. Like this. It's just the way that it works. There has to be an expectation there and a marker of faith, a, a modicum of faith to where we believe that, look, if I cry out to God, he's going to hear me. He's going to respond. And so the first way that we make way for Jesus is we just pray. And, and we say something as simple um, as, God, um, I want to be open to hear. I want to be open to follow. I want to be open to proclaim. I want to be open to hear. I want to be open to follow. I want to be open to proclaim. But it starts with initiating conversation of God, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you so that I can know who you are, know who I am in light of you, know what you expect to me, expect of me, and know what I need to do. So we pray. We pray. The second part of that, and if we are preparing the way for Jesus in ourselves, is, is we pursue. I'm not meaning to be alliterative, but it's just kind of happening. They're good P words here, like we pray and we pursue. We pursue through Scripture. Like we're not going to stop talking about this. Like as followers of Jesus, we can't be like the, uh, the previous generation church, like the Orthodox church. I'm not bashing Orthodoxy, but waiting for someone to spoon feed you. We can't be those people. 
We can't be those people that just wait to be fed all of the meat that we need. We have to actually grow in such a way that we have to, like, I'm looking around. Paul actually told some people verbatim, you need to get off the teat. You can't live on milk anymore. Like, you need to move on to meat. You need to move on to solid food. You have been following Jesus long enough. It's time for you to move on. Like, as followers of Christ, we can't wait for someone just to give us milk, the initiating thing that we need for life. No, we have to move on to meat. And if we're going to pursue, pursue we pray, but then we pursue through Scripture. And that means, we, again, we're going to say it frequently. We need to find regular ways to expose ourselves to Scripture, whether it's through hearing it, whether it's through reading it, whether it's through sitting with other people when you're reading it together. Whatever works for you, figure it out. Find a way to make it rep regular, repeated, and oftentimes very sacrificial. Man, I love that Jessica was sitting in our community group last week, and I'm not calling, well, I am calling you out, but she, we talked about what does it look like to follow Jesus right now, and she made the statement, following Jesus at this point in my life is not easy. And that sounds like a negative thing, but it's not, because she's declaring that she is, even though it's not easy. Like making time, spending time, taking the time to get into Scripture day after day after day, sacrificially, it's not easy. It does cost you. It is hard sometimes. It is confusing sometimes. But pursuit is just that. Pursuit is not meandering. Pursuit is not wandering. Pursuit is intentionally going after something. If we have the expectation that Jesus is going to change us, radically transform us from dead to alive, then from alive to follower, someone that was previously wayward, we have to understand that it takes intentionality on my part. And on your part, intentionality with initiating a conversation with God, saying, God, I have an expectation that you are going to change me, that you are going to reveal yourself to me, that you are going to direct me. And if we have that expectation, then we also have the passion in us to pursue, chase him through Scripture. Find ways to figure out how to get in there. I understand some of you are in a season of life that is crazy and busy, and chaotic. You have toddlers that are chewing on your ankles and everything else. You have a job that is beating you to the ground. You have school that is crushing you. Jesus is still there. And he's still worthy of our pursuit in all of those things. So how do we do it? My answer is going to be different than yours. But the result is the same. Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. We pray we pursue. We pursue through Scripture. We pursue through this. The gathering, the reason that the gathering is so vital and so important is we get to rally together around Scripture. We get to sit in unison around the truth of God's Word. And we get to celebrate Jesus together. That's vital. And it's also encouraging. And it's also uh, very much contagious. And it's important. It's amazing to see your neighbor doing something and you decide that you want to do it because they're doing it. That's okay as long as it's a good something. Surround yourself with people that are pursuing Jesus. You will be far more inclined to pursue Jesus as well. So we pursue Jesus through prayer. We pursue Jesus through Scripture. And then James 1.22 uh, through, I think, 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, we also have the faith 
the faith must be in us to not only pursue Jesus in his word, but when we see his word, when we see his directive, when we see the way that he wants us to live, we actually have to do it. So yes, we pursue him to know him, but we pursue him to be obedient to him too. And that word's not very popular. Nobody really likes that. We like it in a Labrador. We want our Labrador to be obedient. That's great. That's a great dog. But we don't like it in our terms because that means that we're having, actually having to submit to someone else. Well, guess what? God's worthy of our submission too. And that's okay. It's not a dirty word. If someone knows better than you, if someone has the big picture at hand and knows what is coming, knows how they made you, knows every fiber of your being, they're worthy of our trust to direct us in the paths that we should walk, the places that we should go, the missions that we should follow. And so, yeah, we pursue, we listen, but we also do. We also do. Preparing the way for Jesus. It looks like that. But then that other preparing the way for Jesus is, is this. We, we not only prepare the way for Jesus in our, li- in our lives, but we need to prepare the way for Jesus in those lives around us. Because again, it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's actually Jesus redeemed us so that others may know as well. Come to know, come to follow, come to love. Everything that we've gotten to experience by grace and through mercy Others should have a chance to experience too. We exist so that people in this city have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. And so we actually need to to welcome Jesus on their behalf to a degree too. We can't save them, but we need to be doing everything that we can to facilitate an introduction. And yes, you can invite them to worship. That's great. Entry-level stuff, pretty easy. You can do that. You can invite them, believe it or not, to a full community group. That's okay. We can always squeeze in one or two more. That's fine. Invite them to a community group. They're going to hear all this stuff again. Maybe invite them to just to have a cup of coffee. Figure out a way. We are, man, we're inviting Jesus in. We're making a way for Jesus, preparing a way for Jesus, not just for us, but for those around us, those in the world around us that do not yet know Christ, do not yet know the Deliverer, do not yet know the one who came to rescue. They've never declared, Hosanna, or save me. They've never declared, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They've never declared, oh, from the son of David, you're here. They've never declared, I've been waiting for you. But they can. They can. But God's prime way to introduce people to Jesus is always going to be his church. Always. 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 He was very intentional about it, so we have to be intentional too. And the first step in that, of introducing or making a way for Jesus uh, to everyone else that doesn't know Jesus, is the same thing that we do for ourselves. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Number one, we pray to see like Jesus. Number two, we actually pray to see the people around us that don't know him and pray for opportunities. We actually pray for them before that conversation. Like, I've still got the names here, like of, of names that you guys wrote down a year or so ago, and I still pray for them. We ask you to write down three names of people, three names of people that are far from Jesus but close to you, and circle the one that you had the greatest chance of of getting here or getting into a story, a conversation about who Jesus is. I, I still pray for them. I don't know if you do. Maybe think. Take stock. Who are the relationships around me? Who are those people around me that I see on a regular basis that I have conversations with, and I know they don't know you, or I don't know if they know you? Pray for them by name. Prepare the way for Jesus in their life. Pray that there would be an opportunity for you just to share your story. 
We talk about our stories a lot. What was my life like before Jesus? How did he grab my attention? How did I respond? What's my life been like since? We all have a story. And in that story, if we're Christ followers, the gospel rests right there. And we get to share it. Over coffee, over steak, over golf, whatever. Steak's always best. Pray for them first. And then, after we pray for them, pray more by name with the expectation that we'll get to make an introduction to our Messiah, our Deliverer, our Redeemer. The same way in which these people were laying out the red carpet for Jesus to come, this is what we do to lay out the red carpet. This is exactly what we do to prepare a way for Jesus. We pray, we pursue, we listen so that we can obey, then we pray some more, then we're open to the opportunity. When the time comes that we get to share our story, get to share the way that God changed us, we, we do it. Be open, ready, share the Messiah, our Messiah, our personal Messiah, our personal deliverer. And we get a chance just to tell people, this is what Jesus has delivered me from. And he can do it for you too. We've complicated the mess out of sharing the gospel. We have. We've complicated it like crazy. We've given it methods. We've given it acronyms. But it is really just as simple as just repeating the story of what God's done for me, what God's done for you, and just telling it to someone else. Because after all, on some level, it's the same way we all heard. It's the same way we all heard. Maybe bit by bit or piece by piece, culminating at an event. But most likely it was repeated people sharing pieces of their story until eventually... We looked, and behold, the Messiah was marching in. He was right there, the one we'd been waiting for, and we didn't even know it. He was right there. How amazing it is to be with someone when that light goes off, initiated by the Spirit. It's incredible to see God go from just a spark to a fire in someone's life to see it in your children, to see it in those you call friends, to see it in those you call family. It's the greatest thing ever. But it starts with us recognizing who the Messiah is, what he came to deliver us from, and then having the greatest of expectations that he can do it for those around us. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, that, that Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the rescuer, the one that maybe some of us sitting here, we've been waiting for and we didn't even know it. God, I pray that you would, through your spirit, make those lights just go off. Like we're hearing it for the very first time that you sent your son to come and die in our place so that we could be delivered. Delivered from a life in which we're separated from you and delivered into a life in which we can know you and be known by you. Thank you that through Jesus that's possible. God, for those of us who have been following you, slowly, quickly, aggressively, whatever may rest in between, God, I pray that you would remind us of exactly who you are.
we'd rejoice in that. We would praise you for that. We would, we would shout similar things of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes for the, out of the kingdom of David. Hosanna in the highest. And God, I pray that we would prepare the way for Jesus to move in our life, to work in our life, but also to work in the lives of those around us so that they too could see, see the Messiah and know him. God, I pray for those names that are on the hearts of people right now. God, I pray that you would remind us frequently to pray for them, to seek your good on their behalf, to love our neighbors, we love ourselves, to want the same good for them that we want for us. And ultimately, that good rests in the hope that comes through you. I pray you'd remind us frequently just to utter their name for you, to seek salvation for them on their behalf, and that you would move in us and allow us to have the opportunity to share, to allow us to have the opportunity to tell them about who you are and allow you to do the rest. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. And thank you for setting us on this mission that's bigger than us. It's bigger than origins. It's bigger than any one church in this city. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.